This call is being recorded. Now we are being recorded. Uh, and um, thank you, Arianna and Sarah and Andrea, to join us in this meeting and organize this session. Um, so I want to uh, give everyone a warm welcome. Thanks for joining us. Um, and the, in, the idea and intention of this session is mainly to have a conversation uh, around copyright and open access in museums in the age of uh, COVID-19. A lot of uh, museums and uh, galleries and libraries and archives are going online due to the task for a lot of questions around copyright and open access. So we wanted to have the opinion of speakers uh, today around these issues and how museums and institutions are sort of facing um, these issues. So we had prepared a couple of questions uh, in case we didn't have like, anyone joining, which is not the case, um, uh, likely. Um, but in case you want to ask questions, there's a sound that you can use um, to ask whatever question you might have uh, and might arise. Um, as the speakers um, uh, showing up. So, uh, with that being said, uh, I'm going to introduce um, She's the Junior Policy Advisor on Copyright Issues and Engagement at Europeana. We have Sarah Peterson, who is the General Counsel um, for Creative Commons, and it's also a lawyer. and. Um, knows a lot about CC licenses and copyright. Um, and we have Andrea Wallace, who is a lecturer at law um, at the University of Exeter and is also involved in all sorts of open glam uh, issues. So, hi there. <laughs> um, you, can you unmute yourselves, too? Hi. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hello. Great. <laughs> cool. So um, we have seen that um, a lot of museums are now in the midst of uh, modern scrambles, sort of, uh, to quickly implement new ways to bring uh, their museums to an audience at a home. Um, however, we know that uh, copyright is still a big issue uh, there. So what are, what are your um, opinions? What are the tools uh, that can help museums evaluate the risks of their audience engagement strategies, slowly uh, speaking? And what are the most important uh, copyright issues that they have to keep in, in mind? Who wants to start? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Um, okay, it's quite a it's quite a broad question, and I don't uh, I don't intend to have the solution uh, for everything. Um, and uh, from European now, we're also starting to think about this because um, if I can just do a very brief intro, we're uh, we're also we're not there just to be a digital library, which is already a, a, it's already fantastic, but we're also there to support the profession. So we want to be an initiative that gathers people. Uh, with similar struggles in this occasion and and see what we can do together to be there for them. Um, and so we're right now gathering insights and this call is particularly interesting uh, for me to understand what other people in the sector might be facing. Um, so well, with that said, um, we're talking, I, I, so we're talking about the context of uh, 
digital open glam, right? So like we're saying collections uh, going online. Uh, in terms of managing the risk, it's uh, it's a bit difficult to say. There's obviously the, the couple of questions that arise when an institution goes digital, uh, which are a lot. And I think this situation is teaching us something quite important uh, that I think the open glove movement has been uh, has been saying for a long time, uh, which is that we need to we need to look at copyright from the get go. So whenever uh, an artwork comes into the institution uh, through uh, uh, through a license, through a purchase, by being made by the institution in itself, we really need to consider all the corporate challenges that are in there, clarify the situation so that then if situations like the current one that we're facing arise, going digital is much uh, more easy. Uh, I think I, I've seen that many institutions that maybe do not integrate this process into their uh, way of working. Maybe the biggest ones that they've, they've got this and it's okay, but maybe the smaller ones that we're hearing less from um, are struggling right now because uh, Clearing copyright has not been a part of the whole process um, inside the institution. So I think that's just a small lesson, but a, a good one that we need to that we need to think about in the future. Um, I can talk about specific copyright issues, uh, but maybe let's do a round and, and see what others think. Um, I can I can add a little bit. I was this is a really broad question, so I was trying to think of how I would begin to tackle it. Um, and I guess for me, it's always helpful to kind of divide issues or divide things up into buckets or categories. And so, um, you know, copyright issues are relatively simple when you're talking about stuff that, that the museum owns um, or that's in the public domain, you know. Um, so that's, you can kind of cordon off that as one um, easier category. And then, um, there's another category is, you know, stuff that copyrighted works that you don't own. And so there you're going to either need permission <clears throat> to do what you're going to do, whether it's under a CC license or, um, you know, some sort of express agreement with the copyright holder or rely on an exception or a limitation. Um, and in that context, um, so I know the most about fair use because um, I'm a, a U.S. lawyer. And so that's the exception and limitation I'm most familiar with. Um, and there, um, I, we may end up talking in more depth about, about fair use, but, um, the, the most essential factor there is thinking about the purpose and character of, of what it is that you're doing. Um, and in these circumstances with this public health emergency where people, you know, where physical access to the works, um, is not an option, obviously your fair use um, argument is a lot stronger uh, in, in this time. But I think that doesn't mean that that it's just, you know, foolproof by any means. Um, I think that the, the, things to, the things that I would think about um, from a fair use perspective when using um, copyrighted material in this context are um, really thinking about uh, why you're using the work. So, um, you know, there's Again, this is so this is so broad because this could mean anything. But um, say you're creating something that um, is a slideshow of works, and you're adding music to it. For example, you're going to want to be really careful about you know what what music you're using and thinking about why that specific work um, is necessary. 
and also then thinking about the amount of the of the work that you're using. Um, those are also going to be, you know, really important factors there. Um, and then the third bucket, I guess, is copyright and stuff that you're creating right now um, and that you will be creating in these next few um, weeks or months or however long this goes on. And in some ways, um, that is very similar to the first category because in most instances, you will probably own the copyright. But I think there are some special considerations to think about there. Um, thinking about things like when you do a virtual tour of um, of the facility, if that's still possible, um, or doing anything um, inside an institution where you might be capturing copyrighted works in what you're doing, you're going to want to think about how much how much of that work you're capturing and whether it's purely if it's just purely incidental, um, that's not going to be problematic. But if you're really focusing on a particular work, then you're going to want to think about um, you're going to want to think about copyright and whether or not you're um, adding some commentary or doing, you know, having some purpose to to uh, how long you're looking at that particular work. So I think that there are there are definitely still things to think about when you're talking about copyright in works that you're creating right now. But I'll kind of stop there and then kind of see where the conversation goes. We can dig in in more depth. Great. Um, I'll add my two cents. Um, so first of all, I, I mean, this is just weird and bizarre. And I know we all keep saying, oh, this is so unprecedented and no one really has any plans. But I mean, that really is kind of the truth of it. Um, and I know we've been talking about this a lot in academia because we're all trying to readjust to how to work from home and how to engage, you know, with audiences from home. Um, but not thinking about this as an opportunity for, you know, productivity and kind of placing expectations we might not actually be able to realize. Um, thinking about this in terms of reevaluating in light of the current scenario, how we're actually, and, and especially the need for connecting with people in new ways, in ways that we previously, you know, relied on um, physical access and, you um, physical social situations um, to just kind of readjust some of that networking and thinking about what the future of, of engagement is gonna be going forward. Um, so I also thought it would be great to give maybe a shout out to everyone who's on a digital team, who's probably getting you know, dozens of emails about a great new idea or this other sort of thing. Or um, you know, I think a lot of us who are more um, technology literate uh, are kind of becoming a source of support for our institutions at the moment, um, however that may be. And if you're involved with the digital side of your institution, um, that's obviously a greater burden. Um, so I think, you know, thinking about some of those ideas and encouraging people to have them is, is really helpful. But, you know, in terms of mental health and thinking about how we're gonna navigate everything else that's going on, it's, it's good to put into perspective. So, you know, with that in mind, um, thinking about how we kind of lower our standards and work with what we do have, um, things that we do have control over and the different types of engagement that um, we can do because we're able to start thinking about some of these things a little bit differently. And um, I think part of that and one of the biggest questions is going to be about considering copyright in the content creation that institutions are engaging with at the moment. Um, because a lot of it will be really great, interesting uh, 
types of engagement from the inside of someone's home. We might start to think about you know, privacy and issues around that differently. Um, that's not necessarily related to copyright, but the images or the, the video or um, the output itself could attract copyright. So even though copyright will automatically attach when we're thinking about the purposes of copyright, the incentives for it, and um, the fact that an institution may not necessarily see that as the type of asset that it could eventually commercialize, you know, we can start to build that into how we're managing the content that we're creating at the moment. So having discussions around, okay, so if we're doing these types of videos, might we choose some Creative Commons licenses to make that stuff available? Do we do a CC BY or a CC BY SA or a CC BY NC? You know, what would be the different types of uses that that then could be put to um, as we continue to, you know, remain at home and look for new ways to kind of connect with each other? Um, especially thinking about how content can be used um, in situations that would then apply an exception to the copyright of the institution that they may be claiming in some of that content. You know, so, you know, educational videos or videos that are made, you know, for kids to follow along and make art at home. If um, that then gets used, you know, for a teaching purpose, an exception will already apply to that in the first place. So might we think about how to license things a bit more openly um, because we have actually no intention um, to commercialize it in the way that you, we normally think about IP that's generated during this time. At the same time, there may be IP that results that absolutely um, brings commercial back to, value back to the institution. Um, so trying to think about what those different types of things are in those outputs um, and ask those questions. Um, because I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting data that's produced uh, over the next you know, period of, of isolation or however this gets approached in terms of what new parameters around copyright and suitability then get applied to reuse in, in a digital environment, um, especially with, con or with content creation, um, but thinking about future-proofing and thinking about how these are going to be uh, media that then circulate and potentially get collected later down the road or you know, archived as part of the response to what happens, whether that's by the institution and by other institutions. And um, thinking about, you know, what we do have control over, which would specifically be the type of content that maybe doesn't um, raise copyright questions or the content that we are creating that we would have um, intellectual property in and, and can license um, appropriately for, for greater reuse. Um, especially thinking that some of the stuff we may be using, you know, certain exceptions and limitations are all going to be jurisdictional. So they'll apply within, you know, the United States if we're in the United States or the United Kingdom within the United Kingdom. But right now, everyone is turning to online and trying to network and trying to connect and circulate, you know, new things that people are doing. Um, so I think that it will be an interesting space to watch in terms of how we start to adjust our expectations around copyright globally. And if this forces some sort of, um, you know, legal reform or uh, new thinking around what those cross-border issues mean. Um, but yeah, more of these, I guess this is just more bigger questions rather than any sort of um, specific things that we can be thinking about internally, but just flagging some, some interesting areas that we might consider uh, through the discussion today. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. Just the one that you just mentioned, Andrea, because I feel that there are a lot of um, initiatives that are going right now. Like I, um, I'm pretty sure some of the people that is in this call has already seen the uh, public fair use statement that a group of librarians did 
um, in the US. And now the Internet Archive uh, has also launched uh, the National Emergency Library just to give access to um, students that are uh, homeschooling uh, now due to the crisis. So um, I was wondering what's uh, sort of your perspective on issues so should uh, uh sorry should museums be doing something similar uh should be sort of saying hey you know like we uh already acknowledge that copyright law has a lot of limitations in terms of what we can offer and maybe be at the front of challenging uh some of those issues or should we take a more conservative approach and be like no we should uh keep on uh abiding by um, copyright laws and uh, make sure that everything is clear before we do anything. Um, can I start? Yeah, um, so, yeah, yes, I've definitely, I've definitely seen these statements and, and the initiatives of many organizations, which are really interesting. So, um, and when I, I was trying to compare this statement to the context in which I work, which is uh, Europe and a digital library. Um, uh, and I think this statement is, is, is great because it, it's a lot of librarians coming together to support people they work for uh, or work with, uh, which are their peers in the, in the university sector, for instance. Uh, and so they want to support them in their activities that they do uh, now from home uh, to, to be able to continue performing online teaching. Uh, and I'm thinking, like, who would be the equivalent in a digital library like Europeana? Like, who are who is the sector that we're working for and that we're trying to support um, in this uh, in this like always and particularly now at this time? And so I'm thinking uh, we've got um, uh, colleagues in the office that work with the education and research sector, um, and it's always very interesting and complicated at the same time to communicate. Uh, what people can do with our collections. Uh, in this sense, we rely very strongly on Creative Commons licenses and tools and on the right statements. Uh, but there's always, um, it's always quite complicated to make sure the user is really understanding what they can do. Um, we've got, for instance, uh, exceptions and limitations in Europe that may allow a user to do more than what the right statement or the, or the license indicates. And how do how do we communicate this to uh, educators that might might think from a license that they cannot use it for online teaching while they where they can actually do that? Um, so I think um, I'd be very curious to know how institutions are approaching this uh, now that maybe everything is moving digitally. So a librarian who would often be there to support the the person at the university and guide them on how to build course packs and what materials to use or not to use now needs to rely maybe on more standardized information on a website. Um, and I'm particularly interested to know how people uh, inform educators, researchers, and others about the possibilities to rely on exceptions and limitations. Because in Europe, we have some, they're not perfect, but um, we should not forget about them. Um, and also, I'm very interested to talk about standardized rights, uh, so right statements and Creative Commons licenses and seeing the role that they can play right now uh, in this time. Actually, I forgot what the question was. I'm not sure I answered it. <laughs> uh, no, no worries. It, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Sarah. Oh, I was gonna try to, I think the question was around whether to kind of abandon copyright to some extent right now or to 
um, to remain conservative. Uh, or or to, to, to push the limits to on Colorado yes. a little bit, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I guess, um, yeah, my, my initial thought is to kind of be somewhere in between that I, I think this is a real, really good opportunity to push the push the line a bit in terms of, oops, I'm getting a lot of feedback. Okay. Um, especially around exceptions and limitations. And I know that a lots of times um, people are, um, particularly practitioners are, um, you know, very hesitant to rely on fair use, for example, in the United States. Um, and so I, I think this, this is a time where we can have a lot more comfort than even any other time, probably, to, to kind of rely on um, fair use and other exceptions and limitations. And I think that that could have ripple effects when this is over, that we will kind of then see that the world didn't end, it didn't kill copyright. In fact, maybe it even made the whole system work exactly as it, as it should. Um, in terms of, maybe this is, I guess, uh, a, a second part of the question and that we're not quite at yet, but thinking about what this means for, for open access generally um, down the road. I mean, to me, it's hard to imagine that it doesn't um, kind of help. <laughs> Even, um, I think for one thing, people are going to realize that in this moment, um, I guess two things, one, that whatever we do online doesn't ever replace being face-to-face -face and, and seeing something in person and having a real human experience. And we're never, you know, we're going to feel that very viscerally right now and we can't have that. Um, and so that kind of helps assuage the concerns that people often have is, you know, what if digital ends up, you know, what if I destroy the, the market for um, my physical space? I think that is, uh, we're going to have a lot of reassurance about that. Um, I think I think we're also already seeing how um, these digital tools are can be you know really meaningful ways to connect with one another and to connect, create connections with creative works as well. And so I think it it's hard for me to to see how those things won't have ripple effects when this is over on people's willingness to share um, more broadly and um, whether it's CC licensing or not, but. Yeah, um, I think I first I don't think copyright is, you know, going to go out the window. And I, I think we're all also in terms of what we're doing in our positions and our jobs, very aware of how important it is to um, protect the valid, you know, the rights of the rights holder. Um, and I don't think any of the things that people are thinking about right now, obviously making some assumptions about that, are probably the types of things that goes beyond that. So at the moment, we're still probably approaching this from a pretty kind of risk adverse perspective um, and also a sensitive perspective around the rights holders. Um, and so, you know, no one's necessarily advocating for throwing out, you know, the, the baby with the bathwater, but we're thinking about um, that risk in the future of um, how we, who feels comfortable to push some of those kind of gray areas around what the exceptions and limitations allow us to do. And um, I think it, I, I agree with Sarah that there will be some really interesting uh, growth around some of these exceptions because they will be tested. And I don't think that that will be the type of thing that, 
you know, crumbles a copyright system. If anything, it can make it more fair and equitable for both users and rights holders. But there will have to be that approach and that um, kind of, I guess, awareness of risk in doing some of those things and, and um, being comfortable with uh, what that brings. So I would actually encourage people to embrace the risk around some of those gray areas because they're probably not as risky as you potentially think that they could be. Um, I think there's also a difference between the, obviously, the, the in-copyright content, the public domain content, and thinking about the content that's already created that we do have um, that has, uh, you know, IP parameters around it already. So from the museums from home, it's the hashtag museums from home kind of movement that's starting. They're collecting instances of institutions opening up some of their catalogs and making things available online, you know, thinking about their own resources and um, how that then can be provided uh, for greater engagement. But I think there's also a big question here that obviously has to do with the spread of the virus itself um, and who's being affected um, is who will have access to this and what we're thinking about in terms of digital and staying in touch and um, you know social, um, I guess, social impact. Um, because, and I know this, we're having to completely uh, revise how we're approaching assessments and we're thinking about um, how we can engage with students because there are a lot of students who now have gone from Exeter home to places where they don't have a great um, web connection or they're currently sharing a place with multiple people who are all using the Wi-Fi. Um, so thinking about how to build in different forms of engagement, even lower quality, uh, so that they do reach other people in other places, not necessarily the ones that are local to you, um, could be really useful and could be a way uh, to think about making the access and the digital discussion a bit more equitable in terms of what we can be doing. Um, because, you know, in, in reality, all of this networking is actually going to push people who do have digital connections and digital access forward. Um, and we're going to, you know, potentially lose a lot of interesting um, engagement uh, from people who aren't able to, to access what's going on digitally. Can I can I actually ask to people in the call if there's like is there any particular worries that you're currently dealing with or projects you're thinking of that like from a copyright perspective can be very challenging because I'm really interested to understand what you're facing uh, like to better understand what you're facing right now and I see a lot of comments so you probably have some thoughts. Yes, we, we can open the mic for questions. It's not a problem. Just uh, unmute yourself um, and um, jump in. Or maybe someone wants to share a little bit of the experiences that they are doing uh, right now. Some of them are uh, sharing them on the side chat. Someone is saying, I'm finding it. Oops, sorry. Yeah, no, that's the one I wanted to underline. Oh, okay. 
so Liam is, ask, is asking, for example, I'd like to know if any GLAM has made a specific copyright policy change because of the pandemic. I don't know if we can answer that, but maybe there's someone in this call that can, because we have a lot of people here. Has any of you uh, made any changes? Yeah. Hey, this is Ann Young um, at the Indianapolis Museum of Art at Newfields. We haven't made any changes yet, but I definitely brought home my documentation on our IP and open access policy, which is due for review this year, um, and figured that would be a good work from home project to look at, um, which one of the things that um, we're going to be working on with that review is actually formalizing our fair use uh, procedures and documentation. Um, so I don't know how much of that is necessarily in response to what is going on right now, but um, I've definitely moved it up because right now our plan was just to get that IP policy and adding in our fair use procedures and documenting all of that done by the end of the calendar year. And instead we're probably gonna try to fast track that and get that done in the next month or two. Guess that that also sort of leader um, a leader right that around like open access in a way because we we know that a lot of people are now asking themselves the questions uh, should we go open and as Andrea said uh, probably this is not the time in which you want to consider that question right now because it's sort of the craziness but in a way we're sort of the future or the next steps that might follow after the crisis settled down and how we can actually uh, make more institutional change in this direction or where are the sort of questions that maybe we can start having as conversations uh, with uh, managers and um, uh, decision makers at museums so as to move forward the next uh, steps. Um. Um, sorry, because I was reading Liam com Liam's comment uh, on like on your article and that the copyright parties is uh, it's maybe a bit empty for now, but um, yeah, um, I'm thinking that uh, maybe like it's not the time to be opportunistic about these things, but but what uh, what other people were saying just now is that those who have embraced open access, uh, so it's maybe those are the ones who will not do will maybe not need to review their policies right now. Uh, so they can still be present online and engage with their audiences um, much easily, much more easily than institutions that haven't been able to do this digital transformation for, for any reason. It can be because of a lack of capacity, not of, not of a lack of uh, support for open um, policies. Uh, but so, because maybe there's uh, no big change that uh, policies will require, but uh, but we can learn a lot from the open glam movement and and those who have embraced open access because these policies were already fit for purpose for a, a period like this one. Um, well, I'm not sure that helps, but uh, it's just a thought. I guess one thought that I have is um, I feel like it's really important for. Um, open access advocates to avoid any any kind of you're doing it wrong framing right now. Um, 
and you know like pointing at well that's not really open access or it's definitely not the time for those kinds of conversations in my in my opinion um but what i think uh we can do that would be really fruitful is trying you know experimenting in different ways and then if it's possible trying to keep track of of metrics um or at least you know it doesn't have to be anything formal but just trying to do a lot of documentation so that when um, when the time comes and the dust settles, we can point to, you know, look what happened when we shared such and such freely and we had, you know, this great engagement from X number of people and, and trying to get, you know, some case studies uh, under our belts during this time seems like a really nice way to approach it. Um, but I but I guess, I, yeah, I would just tend to really, I, I think we should be very thoughtful about not kind of pointing fingers or, and also, frankly, to rushing, trying to get people to rush to um, really formally open in, in a CC licensing way their collections right now, because these, um, as probably everybody on this, this call knows, but, um, you know, the licenses are irrevocable. There are lots of complicated um, rights issues involved lots of times. And so it's not something that you want to just you don't want to just slap a CC license on something without really thinking about it, um, particularly for um, these important collections. So, yeah, I agree. I think um, it'll be interesting to see what those metrics are and how they relate to open content and if we can even garner anything from that. Um, because I know there's been some some bigger kind of open access announcements in the past, or Heidi was saying that um, they recently made a change uh, for 3D models to a CC0 license. You know, so there could be like a natural jump in reuse, but then because of everyone turning to digital and not being able, um, you know, to be as mobile, that might actually skyrocket. So um, if you, I think it would be interesting to, to document those those changes or collect metrics and that sort of thing, because um, later it could be really important to uh, making some of the arguments uh, either internally or for other institutions to make those arguments if they have access to those types of, of data and case studies. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think also there could be some interesting baby steps that can occur during this time. So whether previously everything was set up to be CC by NC, that then because the rights assessment has been done and the institution made the decision to do CC by NC, they then take the next step to go CC by SA or CC by. So we can see some incremental changes um, because some of the work has already been prepared. But I think this is something that um, Skin and I were talking about there is a lot of work that goes into preparing collections for open access and um, it shouldn't be underestimated. And it also shouldn't be seen as an opportunity at the moment because um, I think that's a standard that's too high for anyone to think about in terms of how they're gonna go, you know what, let's take our collection and make it available and open access online. Um, we've got time and we've got digital content. Um, probably incremental steps and baby steps or, or as far as you should be kind of um, aiming at the moment. Everything seems really risky to begin with in the first place. Um, but I think sharing that that information and that conversation and, and networking and staying connected with people who are also going through those things will be probably the most helpful thing uh, to do at this time.
Um, I have a question that uh, I'd like to float by you, uh, clever heads. Um, one of the ideas that came out uh, of this uh, shutdown is uh, a good colleague in Sweden um, who sees uh, connections between uh, Hamashoi, Edward Hopper, and David Hockney, the empty spaces that he feels resonates with uh, the current situation where everybody's alone together. And he said, could we do a digital um, virtual exhibition of uh, these three painters? Do some kind of curational trick to bring them together in an online space. Um, I was thinking uh, that IIIF might be a way to bring these artworks together in, uh, you know, using this um, framework where images can be compared and uh, added to the same virtual space. But I was also um, uh, not certain about rights for an idea like this, because Hamashoi is uh, out of copyright due to age, but Hopper and Hockney are still in copyright. Hopper is dead, Hockney is alive. <laughs> Any ideas on, on how to approach this and, and, and how, what, what kind of, you know, yeah, solution would be good for this? I mean, the artworks would be coming from different institutions. Um, is it possible at all? I just think I love the idea. <laughs> but. I mean, I agree. I think that's exactly the type of um, connections that are ideal for this type of, of situation. And um, that potentially might be one of those gray areas that you and your collaborators would feel potential or uh, feel comfortable pushing. Um, it would totally, of course, it's, I, I hate to be like the awful copyright lawyer who says it depends, um, but it does. It depends on the jurisdiction. It depends on um, the exceptions that are in place within that jurisdiction, where the institutions are located, what the licensing agreements might be between the institution and um, the artist, if the work is in copyright, which is why you might decide to go with all public domain content to be safe. But then, of course, we start to think about how that's skewing everyone's perception about what art is valuable and what stories are important to tell because we keep going back, you know, 70 years prior to everything that's conclusively in the public domain. So we feel comfortable using it. Um, and we start to then you know, miss out on a lot of like great contemporary enrichment, especially potentially more relevant for things that are going on at the moment. Um, so I don't know, Rita, I think that sounds amazing. I think everything you do is amazing. And so I would say, <laughs> just please keep doing <laughs> everything and asking Andrea. those questions. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, but uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I don't have an, uh, an answer. It was just a comment that that I that it, like it made me think of something. But go ahead, Marita. No, I was just uh, I I was just gonna say that I, I'm going to try and look into uh, what which collections have these uh, artists and uh, maybe. Some of them are um, using the IIIF technology, allowing 
uh, if not to reuse any images, but just to view. I mean, if we could only allow, a, you know, a virtual exhibition where you can view these artworks together, that's all I'm hoping for. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was just thinking. Oh, sorry, someone wanted to. Um, one possibility that comes to mind is the Google Cultural Institute, and I offer that up knowing full well all the problems around trying to work with Google. Uh, but if there was anybody on the planet who was likely to already have Hockney, Hopper, and Hammerskill in some way, shape, or form, uh, it's probably them. And hmm. it's a walled garden, but it's a pretty big walled garden, and it has the internal capacity for members to be able to pull artworks from other institutions, as long as the mm. host institution has has basically toggled that box on, uh, so it could conceivably operate within GCI right now, mm -hmm. given the way GCI is currently set up. As long as the assets were already there, and I would be surprised mm. if Hockney wasn't there, and I'd be mm. less surprised, but still surprised if Hockney wasn't there in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, they have gone out of their way to push the whole, like, you can't download anything from the Google Cultural Institute, unless you know how to make a screen grab, but you know, mm. whatever. They have at least taken steps enough to lower the, the risk threshold a bit. So worth exploring. Yeah, that's a really good suggestion, actually. Um... How how should one approach them? Because I mean, the SMK is part of the Google Cultural Institute. We've done several exhibitions there. We have uh, part of our collection there, but I don't have a current contact there. It's been a while since we've done anything with them. And they Do you know what a, a good approach could be? Excuse me, I couldn't hear that. I think I might have a general contact for the Google mm -hmm. Cultural Institute somewhere. I know my uh, media uh, recently left them, but I feel like I was given a general set of contact information. I will dig through my emails and try to send that over to you, Marat. Thanks so much. Yeah, I, I can do the same. All of my emails are a couple of years out of date, but there is there is some generic contact info in there. I'll I'll shoot my email here. Um, something that I was just thinking is, uh, for for fair use and fair dealing. Uh, countries it's going to be a, a lot of uh, assessing where the gray areas are and and assessing whether you want to jump um, and test them and i'm thinking that for a lot of uh, countries with more specific exceptions and limitations it's also a good opportunity to test how far they go and whether they allow us to to uh, bring forward all the projects that would be interested to to develop in the digital world because uh, the the areas might be more black and white rather than gray, or there's still some gray spaces. But it's um, but I think we're gonna have a lot more walls that we're gonna be facing because um, they're a bit more strict in there in the way they're written. 
Um, but I think it would be really interesting to keep writing them down. And now that there's especially a lot of copyright reforms going on in Europe, it's also a good moment to eventually. Um, so it's a good test for our laws and see whether they're fit for the digital age and, and, and to the way that we're, we're like driving towards. Um, I don't know if uh, anyone read uh, Tim's comment, which is now you have to scroll up a bit. But, but I, yeah, I also think it's very interesting what the what the more like scientific publishing sector is doing, and and how how some people that were lobbying uh, for opposite interests now they're coming together to maybe find a flexible solution that is for the benefit of all. Um, so it's it's also very interesting to keep that in mind. Yeah, and um, if if no one else has uh, um, another question, I, I mean, like, please feel free to jump in uh, whenever you want. We don't have a lot of time left. Uh, our idea was to finish this uh, call um, at a, um, in an hour sharp. So we are sort of uh, reaching the end of the hour. Um, but uh, um, I guess that one last question um, so that was already sort of um, uh um answer a bit but maybe like you can expand a little bit more on this it's like how um how we can make sure that institutions are now having uh some tools to collect all the things that are happening now to archive for the future which i think it's one of the biggest concerns too um there are a lot of like things going on now a lot of media being shared a lot of information being shared um, and most of it is actually not under a CC license or um, under any permissible license. And is there any general consideration that uh, we want to sort of like uh, point people to in order to make sure that uh, the information that is being generated now doesn't create a third problem? Do you mean shared by institutions or shared publicly by anybody? Sure, publicly by anybody, but also by institutions. Well, I think um, I know that uh, the National Library of Scotland did some really interesting um, archiving of social media and other content um, after the before, during, and after the Scottish referendum. Um, so I think, you know, looking to what other institutions are doing around this, um, maybe there's some case studies out there. Uh, I know that, you know, there's, there's been collections around some of the, uh, the women's marches, um, signs that were left behind that sort of thing. So I'm sure that there's probably great resources out there about, um, how to start looking at managing even basic to much more complex content. But in a way, some of that might not be as like for collection purposes and archive purposes might not be as risky as we think because when we're thinking about social media, the terms and conditions and, you know, the really broad uh, contracts that will apply to the, the content that we submit. Um, 
should you know in especially other exceptions that you know could, could depend on the jurisdiction institutions won't have a problem collecting some of this um i think also something that's interesting to think about um is potentially user-generated content and as institutions start working more directly with users or inviting digital participation, thinking about what that will look like going forward and um, how to design equitable practices around asking for a license instead of asking um, a user to assign certain rights or waive them in any content that they um, generate, uh, like a non-exclusive license to the institution. Um, there are a lot of like dark areas on people's people, I mean, cultural institutions, um, websites, when you look at how they kind of manage user generated content, it's almost like I think the lawyers fully take over at that point, And you see the way that uh, the language is constructed, you know, all perpetuity, any digital media now and forever known, you waive moral <laughs> rights, the right to be associated with it, fight back against your lawyers during this, this phase, I think is what I'm trying to say. And um, try to maybe potentially work with them for uh, designing more equitable practices around some of this. Um, I guess that's that's my two cents. Would be more about kind of the user-generated content and public engagement aspect of rights management and future proofing, and thinking about um, appropriate practices. Yeah, a dirty secret about being a lawyer, I can say as a lawyer, is that it's the safest way to practice law is to be as conservative as possible. And so that's um, particularly when people are just, you know, being reactionary, it, the safest thing is to be conservative. And so you do, I agree. I echo the, the, the pushback and I always appreciate it when I get it from my colleagues um, as well. Um, and then I, I guess just to build on what Andrea said, um, you know, an easy, a relatively simple solution for that is having people apply a CC license when they're um, uploading user-generated content to a platform. And that's a relatively common um, common solution for that problem. But yes, fight back against your lawyers. I love it. That's the theme of the <laughs> theme of the webinar. Great. I don't know if you want to make any um, last uh, thoughts or last questions. I'd just like to thank you for the initiative. I think it's brilliant that uh, you offer this um, also just to get together and uh, have a chance to ping pong uh, concerns and ideas and get some uh, valid <laughs> information on, on how to go about these things. Um, it's it's really very, very uh, thoughtful of you. I would well, also like to hear what other people do in the meantime. So I don't know if, obviously no one's talked about this, but if there's a potential for something like this to happen again in a month or so, I think it'd be really interesting to even flip it, you know, to hear what people have been doing, um, because that I think would be the most interesting. Like we're at the outset right now. We're just thinking kind of proactively and trying to anticipate the various things um, that may arise. But I'm sure that all of this 
will be completely different a month from now. And we'll have a lot more insight um, and examples of what people are doing on the ground. So I would love to hear how this, what's, what's happening in practice. I want to give that one a plus one because right now everything that I'm doing is just a bunch of Google Docs and video conferences talking about what we should be doing starting next week. So a month or a month and a half, we see things starting to, to become real. Yeah, that that sounds um, like that sounds like a great idea. I I don't know. So since this was sort of organized between Open Glam and MCN, like there are a lot of different channels that you can join. Um, but basically, um, yeah, I mean, um, you can either sub subscribe to the MCN. I think Margaret has shared the link there to the Basecamp um, to the copyright um, community. You can also join the Creative Commons uh, Slack channel, which is creativecommons.slack.com, where um, most of the people that has participated in the call um, is. Also, there's the Europeana copyright community um, that I think uh, uh, Kilian, if I don't remember incorrectly, shared the link to. And of course, we're going to be uploading this um, to uh, uh, the to some YouTube channel. I guess it's gonna be the MCN YouTube channel. Um, but uh, uh, basically, yes, we'll we'll keep in touch uh, with everyone and we'll announce on uh, different social media channels if we end up doing a similar event like this. Um, and of course, I, I wanna uh, also give a shout out to Anne uh, too that participated in this call. Uh, for those of you who are thinking around going open access, you should definitely check her series on the Open Glam uh, medium that we have on, on how to uh, go Open Glam, uh, because that's like a great conversation starter and food for thought um, in these times of crisis. And I want uh, to finish this, of course, by, part, uh, by thanking uh, Ariana and Sarah and Andrea for joining us today. Um, thank you very much. It has been very, very um, exceptional uh, content and material and a lot of food for thought as someone said in the um, side, side uh, comments and thanks everyone too for joining uh, today. Thank you Scan Thank for you. organizing this. Yeah, thanks Scan. Thanks everybody. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. See you. Bye. Thank you. This is great.